Hello, everybody. Welcome again to Driving the Deal. I'm Brian Fortune, head of the Ferrick Square Group, and we come back to our favorite episode, the Banker's Corner. It is a perfect time to do Banker's Corner, of course, because we get to assess how busy has the year been and what does that mean for the remaining quarter of the year. So to that end, we are always pleased to have our good friend and special guest, Mark Francis of Houlihan Loki, who, as I think all of you know, are very, very active in healthcare banking. So let's just jump right in, shall we? All right, Mark. Mark, I can speak for myself. We're very busy and you say that you're very busy. So give us kind of the bird's eye view from your vantage on how the year's going. Sure. Well, first, hello, everybody. Hello, Brian. Great to be on the podcast. You know, we talk about this stuff all the time. By the way, if I, if I had looked back to the first quarter this year, probably should have taken more vacations, right? It just was not, was not that busy. Yeah. So I would say we picked up a little steam in the second quarter. And today I would tell you the market's absolutely heating up. We've got really strong depth and liquidity in the private credit markets syndicated market still following. And we have really good support for both strategics and sponsors to engage in quality transactions. But I, I somewhat view the balance of the year similar to the first half of the year in the following respect. It's a little bit of the tale of two cities, right? If you have a high quality deal, high quality team, sector of interest, those deals are getting get done at good multiples. And like our thesis, and I think we talked about this before throughout this whole cycle is premium companies get premium multiples, right? I think that's absolutely borne out today. We definitely see that continuing, but the inverse of that is if you don't have a different company, you have a weak team or sector that's struggling, you know, those deals are going to struggle. So we absolutely believe that M&A volume is going to pick up, particularly the fourth quarter and even in the early next year. And people are engaged. I would say the number of deals being launched in October, based on the volume that we see, are absolutely at a, at a record for this year, if you go back a couple of years, but certainly this year. And I think we'll finish the year really strong with a lot of activity and a lot of interest to buy quality companies. So that's, you know, that's probably the high level. Right. No, you're right about Q1. So Q1, basically, it seems like we'll I'll agree with sort of an extension of that sort of extended lull we had, you know, starting in Q3 of last year. You know, now that things have picked up, like, what do you think are the biggest drivers of, of that change? Like, what's bringing everybody out to play again? Well, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a complex discussion because it's not just about healthcare. It's about how people are feeling in a general way with the economy, with interest rates, with the forward forecast. And so if you think about what's happened on some of those tenants over the last couple of quarters, we've gone from a, and this is not cool hands, we don't do research like this, but a lot of places were saying, hey, deep recession, interest rates are going up past where they are today. And it's going to be, you know, tough, tough cycle. And so I think we've gone from that perspective, maybe in the first and second quarter to over the summer in particular, the sentiment has really changed from a recessionary conversation in a lot of the investment banks and research places to one of a soft landing, one of an environment where the interest rates, they may go up another quarter, half a point, but they're at or near their peak. And so as people look out ahead quarter to next year, they have more confidence that the worst is kind of behind us in terms of interest rates. Now, the question always is where there's a huge debate around higher for longer, or are they going to cut rates uh, sooner versus later next year? And then we've also got the persistence around inflation and and the availability of clinical supply. So, you know, a lot of margins have been contracted in the last two years. And so I think we're at the end of that cycle of margin contraction. I do think we'll have higher than normal inflation for the next year or two. So that is not totally going away, but it's gone from, you know, six, seven, eight percent down to four-ish percent, right, on a forward basis. So it's not normal, but it is in a much better, more rational spot. And then rate increases for payers are starting to kick in accordingly. So it just feels like we're in a much better spot from a both a macro and a micro perspective where investors 
can create confidence and predictability going forward. Right. So maybe not so much of a textbook return to normal, but a return to some predictable stability. Yeah. And the term we're using a lot is just productive. It's the productive market. It'll be constructive for the balance of the year and next year, barring something we don't foresee. I think it'll be an active market. And so that's certainly what our clients are focused on and and preparing. All right. Well, that leads us into another uh, favorite question, of course. Which subsectors in healthcare do you think are really, really active right now? And are there any that kind of represent something new or or just uh, anything that's going to see a lot of interest? You know, it's interesting um, because we get that question a lot. And over time, new things do pop up. I don't think in 23, there is much new popping up necessarily. I definitely feel like orthopedic MSK part of the market is going to have a big year in terms of some of the larger transactions happening. We do see broadly dental being super active, both on the regular DSOs and specialty and just kind of broader dental ecosystem, you know, retail multi-site is still very active space that people are focused on. And then, you know, I would say pharma services, the other one that people are spending a ton of time on, we have uh, big practices there uh, that we're excited about. But, you know, some of these sectors, whether it's dental or MSK or uh, pharma services, a lot of these sectors are converging over time. And as they get bigger and bigger, they become more multifaceted, more diverse and have lots of different capabilities. And so, I think you're going to see the evolution of some of these bigger companies over time to be maybe less pure play of a one kind of narrow sector, but to encompass kind of a broader ecosystem. You've been in this business a healthy amount of time, so you've seen a lot of different trends come and go. I'm I'm kind of curious, what's your thought about insurers vertically integrating with almost every services vertical? (laughs) So I don't think there are any large publicly traded skilled home healthcare companies anymore. They're all owned by payers. I mean, is this, you think this is a permanent thing or is this just one of those kind of gravitational consolidations that will then start to diverge again in the future? By the way, thanks, Brian, for not saying how long I've been in healthcare. I appreciate that. (laughs) So That's right. You know, it's interesting. I do think the payer dynamic is here to stay and they focused on maybe the bigger transactions to date. But if you look at someone like Optum, they've got 70,000 physicians, they own SCA, they've now acquired LHC Group and now Medicis. And so what you're looking at is these payers being very diverse in their capabilities. And I think what conclusion they came to a while ago is it's really hard to just be a payer in today's environment. You've really got to have a delivery system and a team that's capable of navigating the delivery of care. And sometimes you have to own it, sometimes you don't. But I think they're coming to the conclusion that you really do have to own it in a lot of instances. And so if you think about United or Humana or some of these other ones, they're absolutely vertically integrated into the delivery of care. Now, where you stop is a question, right? So United and Optum are the furthest along in this integration. If you look at Humana, it's home care and primary care predominantly, you know, Cigna is kind of a different question. So I think they all have their own strategy roadmap, but it's definitely here to stay. And the question is, where does it end and who's a part of that? And so to date, we've really not seen a disadvantage for not being a part of that, right? So if you weren't a part of a payer, like there are thousands of home care companies, there are thousands of dentists, there are tons of different providers. It's all still very fragmented, but you just see at some point in the future, the bigger and bigger this vertically integrated play goes, that some people in sectors that are smaller companies, maybe regional companies could get disadvantaged because they're not a part of a value-based care play or a more closed-end panel, right? And so I think today it's pretty much fine, not totally, but yeah, I think on a long-term basis, I think those trends are more concerning for some of the smaller companies. When you think ahead of, it, of deals, I think we always revisit this question. Are there any 
healthcare subsectors that have been active that are cooling off or you know are we seeing activity just kind of consistently everywhere right now you know it's interesting you know some sectors that are more active than they were say 5 years ago certainly ones like imaging and hme and distribution and some of those sectors ones that are cooling off i would say if you think about anesthesia and emergency medicine those certainly two, you know, if you look at the envision issues that created that uh, restructuring, a lot of those hospital facing departments have been negatively affected. And I think those are the ones people are concerned about. And so I think other than that, I haven't really come up with anything that's more recent around that. Sectors that I, I, would, I would add, and I think we mentioned this maybe last time, that burgeoning in terms of interest is cardiology. There's what, oh, yeah. seven, seven or eight platforms now that are in the early stages of building and started, what, two years ago, 18 months ago. So we're starting to see like a decent sized companies in that space now. So, you know, healthcare is always changing, but it doesn't really change in a month or a quarter. Sometimes it's these trends happens over, you know, a year or years. So let's move on to big drivers that are affecting everyone's thought process. So, you know, I know back in, at the beginning of the year, we were looking at a lot of home and community-based services. Then as sometimes happens, Washington will come out with a real doozy of a policy that they'll propose or, or Congress will be batting around and it will change everybody's thinking and, and maybe slow things down for a while. We had one of those with HCBS. In the past, we saw, you know, some companies, I think, got caught up in some drama around those surprises. So, so, you know, we're usually good for one or two of those things a year, but, um, you know, what do you, what do you think about this year in terms of things, you know, coming out of Washington or the States that people need to, to keep on their radar? Yeah. Nothing that kind of rises to concern for us on the regulatory front, although there's always stuff, as you say, popping around. All right. So we talked a little bit about the kind of a new phase of productivity. What else is driving the pickup? I mean, it just, you, you think a lot of people are getting ready for exits. Like some, let's talk about some of the bigger, bigger drivers that are picking up the pace. Well, part of its whole period, right? And so in difficult markets, in we'll call it non-peak markets, whole periods for privately funds probably runs in the five-year, maybe even six-year variety. In peak markets, like we saw in 20 and 20, well, maybe less 20, but certainly 21 and 18 and 19, whole periods can be as low as three years, three and a half years. And so some of this is just, there's an enormous amount of healthcare volume every year happening. And so there's a lot of exits that get driven off of that. Um, but I think valuations have crept back up uh, for premium companies, as we've talked about. And, you know, people are just looking at, you know, the management team's ability to grow the business, what happens with the next sponsor. And in a lot of cases, these businesses have gone from 25 to 50 to 100 million of EBITDA, right? And it's just time for either a strategic exit or a much bigger sponsor. And so I think part of that is just time and part of it's the scale that some of these businesses have. One thing that's maybe more of a technical, I wouldn't call it a crisis, but a technical issue on the lending side is just the lower leverage today and over the last, you know, call it a year that has happened. The acquisition facilities typically delayed draw term loans were scaled down from historical perspective. And so what has happened this year in particular is people have exhausted their delayed draw term facilities and they're kind of stuck. Like equity funds don't really want to put in more equity capital. The lenders are kind of tapped out where they are until the you know they feel better about the environment or you know, expand that. And so you have a lot of people who are traditionally acquirers, right? They're really in a position. They're kind of waiting three, six, nine months until they can work into a better leverage view to really get back on the acquisition trail. So we've, I mean, we probably are tracking forty or fifty healthcare services companies that are in that position. And so it's not a terrible position, but it's just one that slows down your pace of growth, slows down your uh, building of the company. And it's just due to a te temporary technical issue. 
What do you think the learning curve has been in terms of deal structure? You know, you, I sort of feel like the lull that we went through for for almost three quarters was just, you know, I mean, first it was a retreat to lower middle market deals were moving, you know, nothing in kind of the upper middle was going anywhere for a while, but, you know, it seemed like there was a learning curve that went with that. Like people kind of had to relearn how to do a deal because the way that they had been doing a deal for the last, I don't know, three, four years, just those weren't the rules anymore. Yeah, you know, and I would say if you go back to the fourth quarter, first quarter of this year, um, a lot of those deals got done with incumbent lenders who were supportive of the next deal. And so I think the, some of the lessons that were learned over the last year more about who, who, you know, pick your partners wisely, particularly on the lending side and some of the really small lenders that, you know, maybe they were a quarter, half point less on the leverage and got that deal done, right? Um, efficiently, um, benefited the market. But you, when, when you go into some trouble, or you need to scale for the next deal, they couldn't scale with the next partner. And so that created issues on those transactions versus you pick somebody who's much larger on the lending side, can scale with you at all, all the way through and, and doesn't have capital issues. And so I, I think there were some people who probably looked back in the cycle, looked at their lending partners, like maybe that wasn't the best decision last time, but the people who made good decisions, I mean, a lot of the deals got done in the first quarter were with incumbent lenders. And so I think that made a difference in the productivity of the deals, the quality deals that got done. Now today, you know, less of an issue just because there is a really strong depth in the market, but you know, it's just it's something to think about as you're, you're constructing deals. The other one I would say on the lending side is over the last, you know, couple of quarters, the hold size for lenders was dramatically less. And so you actually took, you know, twice as many or even three times as many lenders to put together a credit facility or $500 billion. And so it was also, it took, just took a lot more work to do that. So that was kind of a, a second one. And, and I think now people are expanding their hold sizes. So I think getting back to a much better spot there. And then, you know, there were, I would say, you know, going back to the tell of two cities, which we talked about, there were a lot of people in the last three quarters, call it, that were looking for kind of discounts and deep value to try to take advantage of the, the whether it was credit markets or sectors out of favor or whatever. And I think a lot of those didn't get deals done. You know, they were looking for, you know, to shift a lot of the risk to sellers with big earnouts, for instance. Um, some of those got done, certainly, but you know, if you didn't have to do a deal, you didn't. And so you kind of waited for better days. And so some of those structural creativity that people focused on for the last year, I think is starting to wane given the credit market support and just going into a better market. So it'll be interesting to see if you still have those kinds of deals happen. Now, look, if it's a lower quality company, you have to transact because you're maybe in a special situations, for instance, then those things are kind of on the table. But if you're a high quality company, you're really not wanting to talk. Well, that's great. It seems like, you know, one thing that that happened, even as the, the sponsor back deals kind of cooled off for a bit was we've seen a sort of resurgence of strategic activity in different spaces. You know, is that more opportunistic or do you think there's kind of a a shift now. So if you're running in a space, you just got to be aware there could be strategics running in it too. Yeah, no, I, th I think that's a more of a, a sector specific commentary. And I'll, I'll just highlight one that is maybe more nuanced and, and more recency attached to it. Like if you go back to the payer discussion. So historically, they've not invested in more of the specialty PPM category. And so I think they've looked at over time, like, look, how do we positively impact their MLR, right? Their spend. There's kind of four specialties that really move the needle, right? Orthopedics, oncology, nephrology, uh, for sure. And I'm sure there are others, but those are kind of top couple. And so like, if you look at orthopedics, I think that's something like 20% of the spend on the specialty side, right? So what they're doing is trying to say, hey, should we go invest in those companies directly and actually own providers in those sectors 
so we can make a difference and control the spend and the quality and the side of service for these specialties, right? So that's kind of one nuance, I would say, that is starting to come up to the top in terms of conversations, but it's kind of born from, you know, more of a, a pain point, I would say, than anything else. Very interesting. All right. We're coming to uh, we're coming to the end of our catch up. So I throw it back to you, Mark. Is there anything on your mind that we haven't uh, asked you today? Yeah, no, good good conversation. Always always great to talk to you, Brian. And I would just say we're feeling really good about the market, um, but there are a lot of indicators we're closely watching. Right, things like interest rates, you know, economic output in terms of uh, GDP performance, and so we're we're pretty pretty optimistic about where we are. That we're in a good spot. The market's improving and heating up. Whatever analogy you want to use, but it's not like it was at the peak of the market, right? It's not, we're not that, right? But I'm cautiously optimistic it's going to be a good market. So we're advising clients to consider processes, ones that are ready and want to pursue those. Some companies just need to wait because they may not be ready. But I think as you think about the M&A, the investment banker side of the business, what's been really, and also I would say probably the legal part that Chris could attest to, uh, attest to the advice part of our business has probably been much more important in the last year than maybe since the Great Recession, right? Maybe certainly 2020, it was the case, but, you know, how to navigate, when to think about a financing or an M&A deal, you know, which partners to select, those kind of things. And so we've always tried to provide the best in class advice and insights for clients. But when the market is at a peak and we're launching processes, that's kind of one set of activities, right? But it feels like we've done a ton of more of the advice part of our business over the last year. So it's been interesting and fascinating to do that and see the market you know, evolve over that time. Absolutely. Well, those of you who know, we do our HPE New York event coming up. Hope to see many of you there. And I will wrap up by saying uh, thanks everybody for joining us. Thank you, Mark. And we'll continue onward into a very interesting year. So thanks everybody. We will talk again soon. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. This material is for general information purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice or any other advice on any specific facts or circumstances. No one should act or refrain from acting based upon any information herein without seeking professional legal advice. McDermott, Will & Emery makes no warranties, representations, or claims of any kind concerning the content herein. McDermott and the contributing presenters or authors expressly disclaim all liability to any person in respect of consequences of anything done or not done in reliance upon the use of contents included herein. Copyright 2022, McDermott, Will & Emery. All rights reserved. Any use of these materials, including reproduction, modification, distribution, or republication, without the prior written consent of McDermott is strictly prohibited. This may be considered attorney advertising. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome.